I ask you to take your Bible, turn with me to Job chapter 4. Job chapter 4, when you get there, you can go to verse 1. We will pick up there. Job chapter 1 here in just a few minutes. If you're using that pew Bible in front of you, page 578 in the pew Bible. I know there are two or three, you know, we give Bibles away and we tell people if you like the pew Bible and you want to take it, did you feel free? And over time, we have had a number of them uh, taken and, and we're glad with that. We're glad they're using them. I know that there are a few Bibles out there that the page numbers do not align with what I say. There are a few there that don't. So if you get one and you go, that's not the page number I have, I'm sorry. That just means the Word of God has made its way outside of the church, and we've not been able to find corresponding, what are they called, ISBN numbers? They don't make that pew Bible in those page numbers anymore. So, uh, But it's 578 in most of the pew Bibles. I read an interesting quote by entrepreneur and motivational speaker Jim Rohn, R-O-H-N, this week. He said this. He said, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And some of you right now are going, okay, so I'm the average of the people I spend the most, five, most time with. Who am I an average of? You see, this quote is meant to cause you to think about the people around you. These people have more influence than you may imagine. Think about those people. What values do these five people that you spend the most time with bring into your life? You see, the company you keep is part of what defines you. You see, you want people that have your best interest at heart. You want people that will encourage you. You want people that will challenge you, or you should, challenge you with the truth, challenge you with your effort, challenge your priorities. You do not want to surround yourself with people that are just yes people, because that makes no one better. You want people who have the same core values as you do. Now, that's not just science and psychology and motivational speaker. We're also told that in God's Word. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, it says this, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Having the right people around you is critically important. Now, with that backdrop, let's open up and let's stand together, and we're going to read. I'm going to read from the book of Job, chapter 4, and we'll read the first seven verses this week. That's going to be our scripture that we'll cover this week. Job, chapter 4, picking up in verse 1, reads as follows. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? But who can withhold himself from speaking? Surely you have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now it comes upon you, and you are weary. It touches you, and you are troubled. Is not your reverence, your confidence, and the integrity of, the, of your ways your hope? Remember now, who ever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright ever cut off? Thank you. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. We're going to walk back through this and allow 
this scripture to guide what, the, what God wants us to cover this morning. Verse 1 starts off with the word, then. Now, whenever I see then, I have to stop and figure out, okay, what has happened just before? Because then pivots off of what's happened before. We get that. Then, this is after the two waves of challenge that's hit Job's life. Loss of wealth, loss of status, loss of position, loss of family, and loss of health. This is after responding faithfully as Job has in each of his responses. This is after Job's friends hear and come to him to both mourn and to comfort him. That's why they came. This is after they all, that would be Job and his three friends, sit together in silence, as we talked about last week, in grief for seven days and seven nights without a word. Then, this is after Job speaks in Job chapter 3 that we talked about last week, some of the most challenging thoughts from some of the hardest chapter in God's Word, and he bears his soul and all around him hear it. This is after Job speaks hope. Even though Job at the time didn't know he was speaking hope. Remember last week in chapter 3 we talked about Job was asking, why do I have life? Why do I have light? That means that in the middle of all that Job is going through, he sees remnants of hope with him. And verse 1 now, it's because of all of that, now we get to the word then. Verse 1 goes on to say, then Eliphaz the Temanite speaks. Now we need to remember that Eliphaz is one of Job's three friends. That had come a long way when he heard all that Job had gone through. That Eliphaz had sat faithfully beside Job for the last seven days and seven nights in ashes. That he came, Scripture tells us in Job chapter 2 verse 11, to mourn with Job and to also bring comfort to Job. Eliphaz was considered wise he was a counselor from his region. Eliphaz is also considered to be the most gentle of his three friends. We're going to spend a lot of time over the coming weeks talking about their dialogues with Job. And you will find that Eliphaz is, is probably the most gentle of his three friends. Eliphaz is also thought to be the oldest because he is given the right to speak first. Verse 1 says, Then Eliphaz the Temanite, answered, which means that Eliphaz, who's just heard all that Job has said, who's just sat with him prior to that for a week, is responding to what he has heard Job say. And in verses 2 through 4, if you allow me to give you a summary, and you can read this here because I'm not stepping too far off, he said, Job, are you willing to listen to someone. Job, you have helped many. You have instructed many who were hurt before. Job, you have encouraged many people in the past. Job, you have strengthened many people in their troubles. And then verse 5, Eliphaz, he says, Job, now it's you who are troubled. It's you that need strength need encouragement, and need instruction, which Eliphaz is sort of saying, Job, that's why I'm here, to be able to be encouragement 
to you. Verse 6, Job, he's, again, I'm paraphrasing, if you live right, God will take care of you. Another way of saying this, Eliphaz could be saying this, if you are truly right with God, if you have not sinned, you have nothing to worry about because God will bless you. And he goes on and he states in verse 7 two things that give us a great indication that sets us off on the rest of the book. He asks, whoever perished being innocent, where have the upright been cut off? With these statements, Eliphaz makes it clear that the cause that he believes of all of Job's trouble is that Job has sinned. And this is 100% God's discipline. That's what Eliphaz says. Job's guilty. Job has created his own issues. It's Job's fault because he has not been faithful. And to that, I want to make three brief statements real quickly on these. Statement number one. God is on record three times so far in the book of Job as to saying that there is none like Job on the earth, a blameless and upright man. Remember, blameless is his attitude toward God, and upright is his attitude toward people. One who fears God and shuns evil. That's in Job 1.1, Job 1.8, Job 2.3. Job, while he is not perfect, Job has been stated over and over again in this book so far that God believes Job to be seeking God, to be godly. So that's statement number one, because Eliphaz has said, Job, you've sinned. It's all on you. Statement number two, God does discipline his children. Scripture teaches that because he loves them, he will. Listen to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. It says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as the father, the son in whom he delights. Now, while Eliphaz is saying, Job, it's your fault because of your sin, God is not saying that's how he sees Job. But we also need to be careful that we don't agree with Eliphaz and think that all discipline comes from being wrong. But we have to be very careful. God will be called into action when his people do not faithfully obey, seek, or live for him. We can be disciplined by God. Amen? When we sin, when we step away from God, just like a parent would, there going to, and God will continue to bring us in. So discipline of God is a real thing. It's probably just not this real thing. And number three, Eliphaz is actually sharing his basic theology, what he and his two friends believe about God, that we will see this reinforced. Now, I have, of course, read more into Job, and I pray that you are. I know a couple of you are giving me your updates as to how far you are in the book of Job, and I want to say, keep reading, keep reading, keep being in there. 
But I'm reading ahead too, and I'm trying not to preach the future, but one of the things that we learn from hearing from Eliphaz and that we hear from his friends is that they, like everybody else in the world, speak from a perspective of what they believe. And here's what Eliphaz and his two friends believe, that God is absolutely in control. They believe that God is absolutely just and absolutely fair. And the way they define that is that God always punishes wickedness and always blesses righteousness. They also believe that God always acts immediately in this world. God is not one who puts us in time out or counts to three that when we fail him, he steps in immediately. This is what they believe is happening in life. Therefore, if someone suffers, it must be because they have sinned and are being justly punished by God for that sin. That's what these three friends believe. We're going to see this belief brought out over these next few weeks. Eliphaz believes and states that Job has created his own trouble by being unfaithful, not living upright, not fearing God, and embracing evil. Eliphaz and God have differing opinions about Job. He and his other friends do not believe, nor can they support the fact that innocent people can suffer for God's glory. Now, we've talked a little bit about that building up to this week. It is this argument that his friends will relentlessly push for the next 23 chapters. And it is a theology, theology that Job will fight against in this same span of information. And here's the thing I want you to notice. That if you read the book of Job, you're noticing, I believe, is that the longer this dialogue goes in from these friends who believe that Job's only problem is that he has sinned against a just and fair almighty God who is punishing him, that this wears Job down after a while. And it impacts his attitude after a while. Let me just... I'll think parentally for just a second. Maybe you've noticed it even as an adult, but have you ever noticed that who your kids hang around is who they start to act like? Who they start to talk like? Who they start to think like? Now, I wish we could say that's a kid problem. Have you ever met adults that start acting like the people they hang around. We get it, right? People are influenced by people when the people that they allow in their lives do not align with them in a belief structure or in a core value the way they live. But before we really get too hard on Eliphaz, and his two friends about bad theology and things like that. We need to understand that they heard about Job's troubles, came 
Job doesn't have 173 people sitting around him. Job has three. They loved Job. They came to help Job. Their desire was to mourn with him. They sat silent for a week with Job. And now they are choosing to speak to Job. And what they share with Job, they honestly, sincerely believe to be the truth. People who have wrong ideas are not just people who have right ideas that are trying to mess you up and to tell you lies. No, people who have wrong ideas believe those wrong ideas and then teach those wrong ideas to people that they come in contact with. We see this, right? Once you hold a bad opinion, that bad opinion is your opinion. And so these friends, they're coming to help encourage him and share what they truly believe with someone that they love. But everything they will do will not seem helpful, will not seem comforting, or will not seem correct to Job. Let's just start with a high-level statement. Job is surrounded by the wrong people in his life. Church, who has your ear? Who do you listen to? Who are you taught by? Who do you turn to when trouble strikes, when questions arise? Where do you turn? Who do you seek out when you need help? Who or what is the arbiter of truth in your life? You see, the wrong people can only supply the wrong answers because it's the only answers that they have. So for nearly three weeks, yeah, I'm studying ahead, but for nearly three weeks I have struggled with these next couple of points that I'm going to make. Struggling, one, to understand them myself. I, I need you to understand that I don't walk through Job having figured Job out. I walk through Job with you, seeking the Lord to help me understand Job and us understand Job as we do this. I've also been seeking to understand the right timing and the place to have this conversation as it relates to Job. This three-week struggle... And these next points that I'm going to share began with a question being posed by a member to me about Job. I was so encouraged they came to me and they said, Pastor, I need to ask you about Job because I'm reading this and I'm seeing this and, and, and I don't really get it. I love that. I love that you're reading. And I pray that if you're not, you'll begin. And that if you are, you'll stay in it. So once that question was posed to me, it led to three weeks of studying, reading, writing, praying, and now preaching the truth that I believe is important right here, right now. And I do not believe we can push any further into the book of Job without taking a moment to clarify what I believe is a very vital point for the rest of this book. Let me start by giving you an example. 
Words matter. Amen? Words matter. Let me give you an example. I love coffee. I love Angela. I love you. I love God. In the English language, love, 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 love. Words matter. You're going, so you love God as much as you love coffee. That would be a problem, would it not? The reality is, is in the English language, the words get grouped together sometimes in ways that we lose a little bit of their value. So let me go back and restate that sentence using original language type words instead of the word love. I mania coffee. I eros Angela. I phileo you. I agape God. And you're going, wow. You just said here, 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 and here. And the interesting thing is, is that if we're not careful, we just to hear love, 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 love. And we go, no wonder he's something wrong with him. He loves coffee and God and Angela all the same. When in reality, it's absolutely different. One word versus four words. Four words clear, paint a much clearer picture of what I said. So, not only do words matter, now that I've laid that fairly good example there for us, in like matter, names matter. Names matter. The name of God matters. Amen? In our spiritual journey, it is vital for us to understand who God is, and the way we get at one of our greatest opportunities to know who God is, is through the names that He reveals to us about Himself in God's Word. When we hear of a different name for God, God is revealing Himself more fully. He's given us insight into His an attribute, a characteristic, or a relationship that He desires to have with us. The challenge is that in the English language of the Bible, we rarely get to see the original language words of God in their original context, or names of God. We see the word God. We see the word Lord. And if you look in your Bible, I'll show you, you see the word Lord two different ways. You see a capital L, lowercase o, lowercase r, lowercase d sometimes. And sometimes you see a uppercase L, capitalized O-R-D. Look for it. That just proves the point that we're talking about different names because they're written differently. The challenge is that if we're not careful, we can allow our God, 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 Lord, 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 reading in God's Word to reduce our ability to know God fully, to understand Him more clearly as He desires for us to know Him. Let me share you a couple of examples. In Psalm 97.5, 
Psalm 97.5 reads as this, The mountains melt like wax at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. And if you went there and looked at that, you're going to see we had the uppercase all the way through Lord, and then the uppercase, lowercase Lord. And if you go back and you read that in the language, it would be the word Adonai. The mountains melt like wax at the presence of Adonai. Adonai, in God's word, leads us to believe, is, means the God who rules. But if you were in Psalm 27, 1, it reads here, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And if you go back in the original language in Psalm 27, 1, the word Lord is used, but in the original language, it is the name of God called Jehovah Ori, O-R-I, which means the Lord my light. So here in Psalm 97 and in Psalm 27, we see the same word, but it's two totally different names of God, and understanding that God is both of these is an important thing for us to understand. And there are many cases like this. Just let me just go through a few. Because I read a book. I read more than one, but I've read a book, and there were 81 different names of God. And then I went back to my Experiencing God book that I go to regularly. And in the back of it, you can see the names of God. There are over 250 descriptive names of God outlined with at least one scripture of God. God has many different names. Let me give you some. Exodus 17, 15, Jehovah Nissi, N-I-S-S-I, the Lord who brings victory. Genesis 22, 14, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. Genesis 16, 13, El Roy, R-O-I, the God who sees. 1 Samuel 17, 45, Jehovah Tassaba, the Lord our warrior. Think David and Goliath. Exodus 31, 13, Jehovah Mekadishkim, the Lord who sanctifies. Judges 6, 24, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Psalm 23, 1, Jehovah Rohi, the Lord my shepherd. Exodus 15, 26, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Let me just give you one more. Genesis 17, 1, El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. With each inspired verse of God's word, God has provided to us a revealing, character-based attribute of God of who he is, and who he desires to be in our lives. By his names and his descriptors, God wants us to know him. Eliphaz, 
in the scripture we've read so far, did not use the name of God yet. The first time Eliphaz uses the name of God, you can look in verse 9 right there. He says this, verse 9, by the blast of God, they perish. In the English language, we get that. In the original language, it is the word Eloah, E-L-O-A-H. You're going, Jeff, you're getting pretty technical, but hang on. There is a payoff here in just a minute. Eloah. Eloah is the singular word for Elohim. Elohim is the plural word for a strong creator God. In the beginning, God. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, Elohim. Doesn't it make total sense that the first way God reveals himself in his name is to show us that he is the creator? So this verse would read, by the blast of the strong creator God, they perish. Much clearer. And then I stopped. I stopped right there, church. Let me tell you what I did. I went back to the beginning of Job. I fought with the copy machine because I took my Bible and I made copies of the pages but I didn't just need copies of the pages. I needed the big blown up 11 by 17 copies of the pages. You guys know what I'm talking about? That didn't, I wasted a lot of paper on that. I'm sorry. But I got to the point where I figured it out and I printed off every page in the book of Job up to, well, I guess all of them. And I began to do the research of what word should that be? What name should that be? What name is that? And we need to remember, with what I'm getting ready to share with you as far as what I've found, is that Job is considered one of the earliest, if not the earliest, recorded manuscripts of God's Word. But God revealed Himself to Job and revealed Himself in Job and has continued to do so throughout the rest of His Scripture. So what I'm telling you now is just contained to the book of Job. Let me tell you what I found. The word God or Lord is used 176 times in the book of Job. 40 of those times, it is the word Eloah or a singular form creator God. One God who created everything. 17 times in the book of Job, it is the word Elohim, which is the plural form God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Creator, God. 53 times in the book of Job, he is just called El, E-L. That is a generic term for a deity or a God, little g. 32 times in the book of Job, those names are El Shaddai or Almighty God. One time, it is Lord Adonai, the God who rules, and Job calls him that. One time, he is called the Holy One, and Job calls him that. And one time, he is called Redeemer, Job calls him that. And 31 times, if you've done the math, 31 times, this will get you to 176, 31 times, 
He is called Yahweh or Jehovah or I am that I am because those are all the exact same names dependent upon your language. So let me make my big reveal here, which blew me away. 31 times God is called Yahweh or Jehovah. That is the most personal, relational name that God gives us. Think of Moses at the burning bush. I am that I am when God intervenes and calls us. Of those 31 times in Scripture where God is called Yahweh or Jehovah in Job, only the narrator, which is either Moses or Job, both had a relationship with God, or Job uses the word Yahweh, Jehovah. No other person in the book of Job, not his wife, not his friends, not Elihu who shows up later, knew God in this most personal of ways as Yahweh, as Jehovah, as the I am that I am. But church, let me make this point. But Job did. Job knew God in the most personal, relational way that one can know God. You're going, Jeff, that's really cool. You wasted a whole week. I still don't know what you want me to take from this. Eliphaz and his friends correctly call God Elohim as the transcendent creator God. The God is the creator of all things. But church, can I tell you that even God himself has not limited himself to being just creator God. Because they only know him as Elohim, they can only give advice and counsel that they personally knew, and they did not yet personally know God in a real way. Their input was never, is never, and will never be satisfying or correct because their theology is limited, because their understanding of who God is, is limited. These friends needed to know God more fully, more personally, in order to ever be helpful. Church, catch this point. It is possible to believe there is a creator, Elohim God, and not know him personally. Many lost people believe that there is a creator. But if they never take time or make the decision to enter into a personal relationship with this God, Yahweh, Jehovah, they will remain lost. Of all the human characters in the book of Job, only Job had an inkling of a personal God, a God who loves you a God who knows you, a God who hears you, a God who desires to be in relationship with you. 
a God who desires to forgive you and desires to redeem you and also has a purpose and a plan in your life for his glory. Only Job understands God in this way. Only Job trusted that God could and would come down from heaven. I need to jump ahead only because it makes great sense today, but write this scripture down. I'm going to read it to you, but Job 19, 25 to 27. I'm going to read this. Job 19, 25 to 27 says this. This is Job. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Job, in the middle of all that he's going through, and in the challenge of all these people sharing input with him, Job holds true to the relationship that he knows he has in God, Yahweh, Jehovah. And it causes him to keep focused on God. You see, God knew that Job would stand strong because God knew Job. And also, Job, spoiler alert, will stand strong because he knew God personally. And when you have that personal, intense relationship with God, it will hold you through everything. But back to Eliphaz's question, right before I close. Job 4, 7, if you're still there, read what he says here. He says, remember now, whoever perished being innocent? Or where were the upright cut off? Now, church, you know the answer to this question. You know the answer, and you're going, Jeff, I don't know that I know the answer. You do know the answer. Jesus. Whoever perished being innocent, Jesus perished being innocent. He carried my sins to the cross, not his. He desires to carry yours to the cross. You can know God personally. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he, God the Father, made him... Jesus, the Son, Emmanuel, God with us, to be sin, I mean, him who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Eliphaz's first question, who ever perished being innocent? Shows that he doesn't know God. Job does. Even before any of the rest of this was written, Job, because of his relationship with God, knew that God would come. Church, our entire eternity is based upon 
innocent suffering. If Jesus did not suffer being perfect because of the love that he had for me and you, we would have no hope. But because Jesus did suffer down the cross, buried and rose again on the third day, he conquered sin and he conquered death. And through you choosing to come to know him personally and accepting Jesus as your Savior, you can be forgiven. You can know Yahweh, Jehovah. Here's the question. Today, do you know Yahweh? Do you know Jehovah? Do you know God personally? If you do not, I'm thrilled that God's words brought us right here to this point. Because there will be no greater knowing that you will ever need in your life than to come to know God through Jesus, His Son. Take time to read God's Word. Slow down in it. Dig around a little bit. You will find out that God's love for you is much greater than you have ever imagined. Isn't that a good thing?